Did you work with William H. Macy? Yeah, I got really lucky the year that I was there because I was in the junior year. So it was only eight kids that year in the advanced program. And William Macy was in town doing American Buffalo at the Atlantic Theater Company, where I was part of their theater school. So he loves teaching. So he took on a class and it was us. It was me and eight kids with a semester of active classes with William H. Macy, three hours every week for a whole semester. Wow, that just seems incredible. And then David Mamet. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Paul Vato Presents. My guest today is Ben Morrison, actor, writer, comedian. Yes, round of applause for Mr. Ben Morrison. Thank you guys so much for being here. And welcome to another episode of Paul Vato Presents. Ben, welcome, buddy. How are you doing today? I'm good. It has been a very fun day. I'm launching my first paid partnership video campaign. But I've had problems with the Instagram app. So I'm chatting with Meta Support right now trying to get this launched. So it's been a real like making your way in the world today in 2022 kind of day. I hear you. It's all about tech and new platforms. So thank you for joining us on Fireside, which is owned by Mark Cuban, started by Fallon Fatemi. So thank you so much for joining Hello, us. Hello, this is a Cuban app. That's why you asked me about the HDNet show. I did. I saw a connection there. And if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about that. I know that you've worked somehow with Mark Cuban, or at least on one of his projects. Kind of. I did a pilot that he picked up, and then we shot a series, but it didn't wind up airing because... It was when HDNet became Access TV. We had made a comedy series for HDNet, but then in that process, the whole format changed to live music and concert and ticketing. So it never saw the light of day. Some of the best work I've ever done, I still believe. <laughs> Do you have access to that? Could you access? Sorry. There's one sketch online that's just insane. The premise of the show was that I was pretending to be hosting all these different reality shows. So we'd go and do all this crazy shit as if we were shooting some outlandish reality show. We did some insane stuff. And the one clip, let me see if it's still online. It has to be. That is online now. Is we taped a live infomercial, invited a real audience for a live infomercial taping of a Yayo energy powder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think everyone knows what Yayo is. Yeah, there it is. It's online. This thing is crazy. Yayo energy powder. Now, did people think that it was a real infomercial or did people get that it was a sketch? I think for most of it, they actually thought it was a real infomercial because we didn't let on. But it gets so wild at the end, a lot of them had to be like, okay. <laughs> for the duration of the bit, they were on board. And they were on board till the end. The, the sketch is it's hilarious and it's pretty over the top. Oh my God, I definitely have to check it out. That's too bad that there was that switch from... HD to over access, you said. I got my revenge. I later won the Cabo Comedy Festival, which got me a spot on Gotham Live airing on Access TV. I made it on. Tell me a little bit more about that. Are we talking Cabo San Lucas? Cabo Mexico? I think it was the last year they did the Cabo Comedy Festival, and that was fun. Where they just fly like 40 comics down from LA, and we just run around Cabo doing shows. And yeah, there was a comedy competition section, and I won that. And the prize for winning was a spot on Gotham Comedy Live on Access. I also got lucky that my tape day, it was being hosted by Michael Che. 
So he's the one that brought me up and got a great intro from him. And the spot was awesome. But yeah, that was a while ago, maybe like six, seven years ago, I think. How long have you been doing stand-up? I just passed my 22-year anniversary. Did you start when you were like five or six, buddy? What's in- <laughs> 43, man. I know you don't believe it. I started when I was 20 years old. I had been acting my whole life since I was a little kid. That's all I ever did or thought I would do. And I was halfway through intense theater training at New York University when I got really hammered one night and I blacked out. And apparently I booked a stand-up comedy gig. And that's how it all began. <laughs> <laughs> how did you find out you booked it? Were your friends like, hey, you got this thing? Or you actually... Went up there in a blackout state and did it. No, I was conscious when I did it. As far as the booking goes, I have no memory of it. I woke up the next morning. I was like, what happened? They're like, I don't know, man, but you got a show on Sunday. I was like, you have got to stop letting me drink so much. This is out of hand. But at that point, I had always like fantasized about doing stand-up. It was like like my secret obsession. At that point, I was like, normally people don't start stand-up because they don't have the balls to go out and get a show. I'd have to go and get balls to cancel a show. I guess this was the universe doing the hard part for me. I went up as a printer show, stand up New York, July 4th weekend, 2000. That's how I know what the anniversary is. But you bring eight friends and it's a train wreck, but I fell in love with it immediately just because it was so alien to me. And I'd been doing like so much theater my whole life that I was definitely like used to being on stage. It was like going to an alien planet and having to perform. I thought I knew all the rules and it turns out I couldn't even breathe the fucking air. And I was like, Okay, I'm intrigued. Um, and so just did stand up when I could because I was still in school. And then I was the class of 9-11, man. Like we graduated right before 9-11. And after that, there was absolutely zero acting work in New York. And it remained that way for a couple of years because all the shows stopped shooting. They just didn't want to pick up productions. I looked around and it was a city that needed stand up bad. And I was like, maybe there's a universe telling me to become a comic in New York. So I just went with it. And here we are, 22 years later. No wonder you make it seem so flawless and you have such a solid set, at least the things that I've seen you do. And I think, of course, that's the thing. It's stand-ups make it look so easy that people think, oh, I can do that. But it's not, man. It's 22 years of that whole adage of I'm an overnight success and only took me 22 years. You do make it seem so effortless, I guess, the thing. What's been really cool has been just what has happened this year. The reason that you found me is I started cutting my comedy clips and I've always been like a big, like nerd. Look at my setup, man. Like I love computers and monitors and I edit and I cut. <laughs> Amazing. Seriously, man. Like I've just, I've been outside of the system my whole career, but I've had a career because I've just had to learn how to do everything because I do love learning how to do everything from cutting to producing to editing as well as doing the comedy. And I had all this gear, like I edit. And I, I always just tape my shows. So I have no joke 20 years of stand, my stand-up comedy on tape. So I was like, why don't I just start cutting little clips? Because it seemed like all of the apps were converging into one thing for the first time ever. It started with TikTok doing the vertical videos. Everyone saw how insanely addicting that was. So Instagram copied TikTok. Then YouTube was like, we want some of that short video pile. So they began shorts. And I saw all these competing things that you never knew what to focus on becoming one thing. And I was like, I can just cut clips. One video goes three separate places and it can get three separate audiences. It's like the best thing I've ever done. I think the reason it's worked so well is because I'm not like a new comic who knows how to edit. So I'm just taping all of my new jokes. I have 15 years of stand up on tape from traveling all over the country and 
comedy clubs just doing real jokes that I've been grinding on for years and just getting them online. I think when people look at my feed and start watching the videos, it's not me just fucking around with crowd work. Almost all of my videos are real, actual material and not just crowd work. I have this huge archive of footage to draw upon and because I know how to shoot my shows, I can go up and say, okay, what joke hasn't been recent or didn't get enough views and I'll just redo the bit on stage and I'll go and cut it and I'll put it up. I feel like at first, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you had to almost choose one platform to really dedicate your time to, but now it's, they don't care as far as you using one clip to put it up on TikTok, put it up on YouTube, put it up on Facebook, all of them. It's nice to be able to shoot something once and repurpose it across all these platforms. I wish somebody would have something that we could just upload once and it would distribute it to all those platforms, like a tweet deck, the way it used to be before, like logging in became so complex. I dig that. But I think honestly, if you just automate your upload process, it doesn't have to be a long process. It started with TikTok, just doing the videos. And then I was like, Instagram Reels is the same thing. Let's just put this on Instagram Reels. What I like is that you can get four different potential bounces from each clip and not just one clip, one social network, which is cool. Uploading one by one, it doesn't take that long if you just cut and paste a description and stuff like that. So it can be done. There are definite advantages to doing it within each app in terms of how the app treats you. I'm just learning all of these things as I'm doing it. That led to the brand sponsorship thing with the butt wipe company who makes like the best butt wipes I've ever used. Are those the only butt wipes you've ever used? Oh no, I've used all the butt wipes. I have a one-man show that I've been doing for 20 years called The Comedian's Guide to Crohn's about living with Crohn's disease, the intestinal disorder, the poop disease which I got diagnosed with senior year of high school. Because of that comedy show about living with intestinal disease and frankly being in the bathroom all the time, I've developed a whole community of people who have Crohn's and colitis who just love bathroom humor. And then I just sent out a joke I already had been doing about why did we ever stop using butt wipes, baby wipes, as in the clip. Like at one point we were like, okay, he's not a baby anymore. We can no longer wipe his butt with soft, pre-moistened towelettes. Just rub some tree bark on there like the rest of America. <laughs> I just set the joke out and then they saw it because of visibility online and then restoried it. And I hit him up and I was like, hey, I write and direct. I've written and directed Brandon for years. I'd love to pitch you an idea. And they said yes. And we're launched a little commercial I made for them in my bathroom today. Although not on Instagram because I'm having trouble with meta support, but they'll figure it out. I hope. It's really proven to me the whole like, there's definitely a big state change with how entertainment is getting distributed online and it's happening so fast. No one really knows what the hell is happening. If you can find your niche, just stick to it. As long as your product is slowly getting better, then you'll get a little following. And the people that do follow you are like really into what you do, which is awesome. Amazing. That is amazing. Congratulations on that brand deal. And that's going across all platforms as well. It's live on TikTok now. So people can check it out. My TikTok handles is the same for anything. Ben the Morrison, one word. So it's live on TikTok now. And it's like a cute little commercial I did while literally sitting on the toilet in a suit, holding these butt wipes. They legit are the best butt wipes I've used. But it's an example of, okay, if I can just keep doing this, if people watch the comedy, which allows me to do shows, to take more comedy, to cut for the people, that I can then pay for this whole existence by creating fucking butt wipe commercials in my bathroom, then that's dope. You have to poop anyways, so might as well get paid for it. Oh yeah, definitely. I've always said that. Every time I do and no one's paying me, I can't enjoy it.
That's hilarious. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's very funny. How did you start doing this? Let me interview you, bro. Sure. Yeah, man. How'd you get into having your own show? Started with COVID and being locked in and my business closing for three and a half, four months. I'm in the cigar business. I do comedy. I'm an improviser. I've always wanted to do stand up. I've always been such a big fan of stand up. I've done it a handful of times. Steve Byrne was nice enough to bring me up, and I did five minutes on New Year's Eve, maybe three, four years ago here in Vegas. So I say I opened for him, almost ruined the show. Gary Cannon, <laughs> let me know that. I'll get you this Yeah, Gary Cannon lets everyone know that. He does. He does. Are you connected to him on Facebook? I am. And I read his comments. Yes. Oh, my God. The flame wars between him, Gene Pompa, and Josh Nasser are what? Ah, yes. And that couldn't be described any better than that. Yes. Gary Cannon was in the show. He was the host. Steve Byrne was nice enough to let me come up. And, and like I said, thanks for letting me almost ruin your show. I did five minutes. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. My background is really an improv comedy sketch and improv. I studied at Second City and improv. But I've always also been a business owner. I started that first. I owned a gourmet ice cream and coffee shop in the Chicagoland area. The acting thing, I did shows like Matt TV and Cedric Entertainer present the Sarah Solomon show. I was on a soap opera, Bold and the Beautiful, because I'm both. Beautiful. What'd you do on Bold and the Beautiful? I was a bad guy. Of course, I'm Latino. So of course, I was a kidnapper. And then met a casino owner who loved cigars and uh, ended up moving to Vegas, where I opened up Bato Cigars and Binion's Casino, which is downtown Old Vegas. So I was doing that. But then when COVID came and we were shut down, I got into social audio. And I've done radio. I've done radio in Los Angeles on KPFK with the Pocho. Oh, yeah. Is the cigar store back up and running? It was for a while. And then divorce and it's still COVID. It's hard for people to smoke cigars with a thousand. So, and you went through a divorce and you got smoked. And I got smart. That's it. That's it. I do everything pretty much online, take care of my customers online and wholesale to other cigar shops. I discovered social audio as far as like clubhouse and Twitter spaces. Everyone's adding social audio. That this after said some cigars are Rogan, man. He loves them. He loves that. I've got a great photo when Burt Kreischer was out here doing the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. I have a cigar that's 18 inches long. I gave one to Burt. I'm going to send it to all the guys because now all these stand-ups are into smoking cigars, whether yeah. it's Whitman or Tom Segura. It's because of Rogan. They go on Rogan and smoke cigars. So the image of comics talking with cigar man has become like ubiquitous. You're going to clean up, buddy. Vato cigars for all my games. Yeah. It's like drugs. The first one is free. And then after yeah. that, then you got to pay. It's like your Yale. Edgy powder. Yeah. Yeah. Free. That's hilarious. Thank you, man. Th 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 thank you for the inspiration and the motivation. Did you find me on Instagram because you just saw a reel? Yes, but I'm sure that we have a few friends. Yeah. Oh, uh, I saw it. I looked through your, like I said, you've interviewed a bunch of my buddies. When I first saw you, it would have been on Instagram and seeing some of your bits. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's funny. I hope that Ben's willing to come on and at least uh, share a little bit. But you're so much more as far as social media, because I always like to tie the importance of social media, especially what's going on right now. So I'm glad that you brought that up right at the top of the show. I think yeah. that it's so important for people to create their own stuff. Thank you for bringing that up. Speaking of social, have you seen the new Instagram redesign? It hasn't gone live for everyone. I belong to a few groups, especially like from the clubhouse groups. And they were talking about it and they've been hitting me up because I'm monetized on there. So they've been hitting me up to throw up some reels. What's the difference? It's, what have they done? It's a big difference. It's TikTok. Like they've removed what was the kind of signature experience of Instagram of just slowly scrolling through reels and posts and videos. That's gone. Now every post is a full page post that you flick up like TikTok. 
So a photo post is just a square photo and the captions are down there and you can click on the comments. It does give you more room to actually see the discussion behind there, but that's laid over the photo. It's TikTok. They just basically took photo and video and just it's TikTok or YouTube shorts. So it's the same format that everyone's moving to, which only further reinforces the fact that if you have something you want to get out there, just start cutting sub 30 second vertical videos and just uploading at least four times during the week to all of these networks and you'll get your following. Do you think that's about the magic number or that's the minimum? I've heard it's four or five times a day, like for TikTok. It's different for me because I don't go for volume. I'll try to upload one every weekday, maybe four during the work week. I'm just not going to do this during the weekend. I don't go for, hey, I'm, here's a reel, I'm at the store. Hey, here's a reel at home. Like every video I upload is a cut, edited comedy piece that I've thought about because I do all the editing, I do all the captioning, I put time into these because when someone finds one and then they go to my page, it's nothing but like curated comedy bits and there's no bullshit they need to wade through to get to why they saw me in the first place. So the effect I wanted to have, which seems to be working with like slow, steady growth is that you see a clip, you're like, who is this guy? Click. And then you start flicking and everything is an edited cut comedy piece that I thought you would like. And at this point, there's so many of them. You'll be watching a lot of stand-up. It works. One, you're like, oh, this is funny. This is really funny. Next one, just as funnier, funnier. Next one, same. They're all such solid bits. And you're right. You've taken away all the other stuff that people like, oh, now here's just a photo of me at the store or whatever. They're all just such solid comedy bits that you've curated. Folks, Definitely go check out Ben the Morrison, benthemorrison.com. Same on Instagram and same on TikTok. Go give him a follow, give him some likes. Uh, tell me some on Paul Vato Presents. Hell yeah. So what's next for Ben? Are you performing right now? Do you have a set schedule? I live in LA. I don't do a lot of road because I stay in town because I run a production company and I'm writing and directing a bunch of shit all the time. But I do perform in LA generally two or three times a week. I just did an hour at Flappers, which was great. Little local headline spots. The short answer is for the live experience. Anyone who lives in LA, just follow my Instagram account. I only promote like really good shows that I think are worth coming to. So if you see an upcoming show and you live in LA, go to it. It'll be a really good time. There'll be some big names on it with me. The plan is I'm actually producing and directing a stand-up comedy special for another comedian right now through my production company, Super Funny. We're finishing up production and I might be in Vegas in a month doing a couple nights of shooting with him. So I'll hit you up when we get there, if that winds up happening, but it looks like it might. So once I'm done creating a stand-up special for him, I go into production on my own stand-up special. So I'm going to crowdfund and produce it myself because I know how to shoot it. I know how to cut it. I have my crew I work with. So I can like, and any comedians who are watching this, like we can make Netflix level specials for under 30K. That was my next question because I do have someone that I'd like to connect you with. Of course, no promises. She's big and she's doing other one person's show. So I'd love to throw your hat in the mix if you have time. She wants to do like an 80 minute thing. That's really why I started my production company, Super Funny. I've never been in the system. I beat my head against the wall for a long time trying to figure out the Hollywood game. And then I just gave up and I was like, fuck it. I just always had stand up and I could always make my money directing, writing something. And then I was like, why don't I just start a company to just do all this under one banner? At a certain point, I knew how to do everything that you would need to do for a production. And then just started making my own little movies and got brands involved and was able to hire my friends to be 
something. And now I'm making stand-up comedy specials and now can do one for myself. The bar of production has gotten low enough and the equipment that's available has gotten high enough to where like, if you just know how to do your job, like you can be in contention for the streaming services. But now there's an even better argument to be made for just not doing that and just putting it on YouTube and promoting it. That's amazing. It's like the perfect storm. We live in this such exciting time. Everything you said is just 100% on where you don't have to even wait for Netflix to give you your special. You put it up on YouTube. Look at Stavros with doing his own special and putting it up on YouTube. Brandon, what's his name? Even Brandon. Bob, are you on the Fighter and the Kids subreddit? Ooh, wow. More gold, more gold. I, yeah, oh, I, got I, love, I love it. I, I love all that. It's great to see all these people with their own podcast. That's the other thing, following Joe Rogan's lead and just putting your own content out there and look where it could possibly lead. But right now, it's such an exciting time where you can put it up. And like you said, you don't have to go to Netflix. You can just put it up on YouTube and get all these eyeballs on it. People are supporting and you can make a living from it. Yep. In whatever way. I think it's important to really force yourself to understand technology and social networks. If there's one thing I wish I had done a little differently, it's just because I had never really had a following on network, social network that is. I just dismissed the whole thing as a fuck Instagram. And while I still feel that way, once I saw what was happening with the convergence of video on all of the apps, even like the techie in me was like, bro, you know how to edit this thing, this kind of thing. Just give it a shot. And then... It wasn't instant success. It was like a slow growth, but I was like, oh, okay. If you play by where you think the app is pointing the direction of the kind of content it wants and just establish regularity, like it'll pick up. And it does feel good now to cut a joke that I told last night and get it online and have 10,000 people just see the joke. So there is like a feedback loop that happens once you commit to it a little bit that I do see is, okay, this is why people do this, especially just meeting new people, getting opportunities to do sponsorship stuff. It's going to be a pain in the dick for a while if you don't get views, but just the consistency is important. And for anyone who's listening, this is just shit I've discovered in the last couple of months. With Instagram and TikTok, their algorithm is very different. I have found that TikTok will just jizz in its pants over a video for two days and then forget it. It was in two days. The first couple of days are a good metric on TikTok, but Instagram doesn't seem to work that way. It likes to slowly roll a video into the algorithm, get it running for two or three, sometimes even weeks, and then it'll go nuclear, right? There's a video right now that I have, it's two and a half million views that I posted two and a half weeks ago, and it was just 10,000, 12,000, like standard views for me on a video. And then all of a sudden I wake up and there's a hundred comments and I'm like, something popped. So for Instagram, just stay consistent with uploading content and don't view your success as how many views you're getting right now, because the consistency will, it seems to me, have it be like that one thing. Let's really rocket it up. The virality, it seems on Instagram happens weeks after you post something. So don't shoot yourself. Just give it a week and a half. To me, what's amazing that in the past year, and I've only had a couple videos go viral, one on TikTok with 740,000 views and the Instagram, maybe 220,000 views or something. So for me, that's huge. And in the past 15 years, since I've been on YouTube, I've had half a million views, but they all came early when I was putting stuff up back then. You didn't know how to monetize it. I don't even think it was a way to monetize it 15 years ago. I love YouTube. I would say, and this is not an exaggeration, 85% of all the 
watching I do is YouTube. Like my living room TV is a Windows 11 machine. So I'm using a web browser to watch YouTube. I have a tablet that I play YouTube in my bathroom when I'm taking a shit or a shower. By the sink where I'm cooking because I like to watch YouTube when I cook. I watch YouTube everywhere. And I've been very involved in YouTube for a long time. And YouTube is amazing. As a platform, YouTube's algorithm is so good at recommending other things that it thinks you like. And it's great for like obsessive hobbyists like me, like I'm a gamer. Hardcore. I just platinumed Elden Ring. And I'm at the final boss in Sekiro and he's kicking my ass. A lot of people who are just used to watching, when they watch something, they watch. It's only Netflix, either cable TV, Hulu, HBO Max. Like it's all like networks type stuff. They see YouTube as something you only use on like your laptop or your phone. But anyone who just watches, like, you have a YouTube app on your flat screen, begin to explore YouTube and type in shit that you really like. And, like, specific is better. Like, you just love, like, gardening. And it'll start kicking out videos that teach you some shit. Because I feel like I learn. A hundred percent. I interviewed my friend Jason Page, who is the singer for Pokemon, the original Pokemon theme song. Nice. Because only he's getting royalties. From his views on YouTube. From the song? You know what? That's an interesting question. I'll have to... Ask him, but I know that's what he does when he goes to the Comic Cons. I think right now he's in San Diego. So it's affording him a living. I don't know if he's getting royalties from that song. I have friends who are on the con circuit. They've been in like a famous project that you can just. That's a fun life if you don't mind like shaking hands with a thousand people a day. Hey, at 20 bucks or 30 bucks or even 10 bucks a piece, I'll shake yeah. as many hands as there are to shake because they're selling their autographs and their headshots for 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 20 bucks to sign my name. That's worth the COVID. That's worth it. That's what I think it's worth it. I have enough. You can pay for the cure. I don't know. Before I forget, I wanted to compliment you. I don't know if you saw the photo that I used for our cover art, but I loved the fact that you're so committed to it that I believe you actually are, are maybe pantsless. You really pulled your yeah. pants out. Because one of my pet peeves is people that don't get naked on the shitter when they're doing TV. And even Chappelle did it. I remember one of his sketches in the toilet, but he's wearing underwear. You're like, come on, you have to pull your pants off. I think it comes from when I did my famous viral video where I photocopy my butt and I fall into it. I'll send you the link. Maybe you've seen it. I dropped trowel. So I love the fact that you're actually pantsless and no underwear on the toilet like you normally would. You don't say anything, of course. To me, that just, it's a pet peeve. Literally, the branded spot that I released on TikTok today is version number two of that. Nice bare leg on the can. Yeah, man. We all know how we use the bathroom. I ain't stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely going to start investing in butt wipes. If you ever need an actor for any of it, I would, I'd love to work with you, my friend, or at least the uh, the chance to audition if you'll have it. We'll do a live fireside audition stream. And have a fun idea. Fireside's got talent. Think about it. Let's do it. Apply to be a creator. I'm sure they'll take you right away. If not, whatever you want to set it up, I would love to do something with you here on Fireside. And it's a great way to record it. Sometimes you, you get 10 people. Sometimes you get five people in the audience. Sometimes you get 30 people, depending who's here and how much time you, you promote it. But more importantly, it's saved. I can make yeah. content. And a whole podcast episode out of it. Yeah. It's not just about the live experience. It's a live taping of a podcast. So do you put the video version of this out anywhere? Is that available on Fireside? I do. So it's always available on Fireside. And when you export it, you get the video, you get it just like this, where it's video and audio. And then I get my video, my audio, your video, your audio. You can get it 
with it almost edited where they take out any of the silences. You can get it without any of sound effects. So whatever way you want it, I just export it just like this as it is. Maybe edit it a little bit if there's any technical difficulties or if I'm stuttering too much, maybe I'll cut that out or if my guest does make them look good. Add an intro, add an outro, and then put it up. The nice thing is that right now, Spotify, they're really promoting their video podcasts. I feel like they push it more if there's video on the Anchor app and on Spotify. And Spotify owns Anchor. And then it goes to all the platforms all over. And I've even signed up for, there's one called Ghana. I think that's Indian from India. There's Asian podcasting platforms that are just for curating content. It seems to be working. We have fans from all over the world. It's amazing. I mean, like, I'm a hit in Bangladesh. How crazy is that going to be? I'm famous in Germany, man. I just go to Ghana one day, like, on a vacation. There's, like, billboards everywhere. I'm like, whoa, no one told me what was going down in Ghana. (laughs) Ghana's got talents. Ghana's got talent. If you want to do something out here, I would love to do it. If you ever have a little bit of time or anytime you want to come back or if you want to promote something, I would love to have you on. I also have a friend who just signed a first look deal with Sony. So looking for content for them to at least to pitch them and see if we can come up with something. So if you have any ideas for shows, maybe we can get on their slate there and see if we can get something created. That'd be great. That'd be totally awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it our way. We're like Laverne and Shirley, except neither of us are women. <laughs> Doing yeah. it our way. Da, da, da. I win. Da. Little iPhone goes by. I put a hat on it. <laughs> Greetings, my Vatos Locos, and welcome to another episode of Paul Vato Presents. I want to sincerely thank you for tuning in. People have been asking what they can do to help support our program, and well, the easiest way is to just head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a like. Give us a follow, maybe leave us a review. Also, maybe head on over to Spotify and do the same thing. We're on all the podcasting platforms. So give us a like, give us a follow, share it with your friends. You can also head on over to paulvato.com. And from there, you can follow us across all social media. There's also a link to our Patreon. So for $3, less than a cup of coffee a month, you can help support our program and it would be really appreciated. So thank you for your time. And now back to Paul Votto Presents with our very special guest. Thank you. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Boston in the South End and then went to theater school. So lived in New York City for eight years and L.A. for the rest. Did you work with William H. Macy? Yeah, I got really lucky the year that I was there because I was in the junior year. So I was only eight kids that year in the advanced program. And William Macy was in town doing American Buffalo at the Atlantic Theater Company, where I was part of their theater school. So he loves teaching. So he took on a class and it was us. It was me and eight kids with a semester of active classes with William H. Macy, three hours every week for a whole semester. Wow, that just seems incredible. And then David Mamet. He was always busy. He wasn't as much of a teacher as he was just the face of it, but he'd always do his new plays and rehearsals there. Met him a couple of times. I remember he was doing like the first run of a new play of his. And it was just the longest day. And I sat next to him and I began nodding off. I had been acting since 6 a.m. And it's like a black box stage. His wife, Rebecca Pigeon, was on stage. And I just kept doing, David, man, don't fall asleep. Man, right next to you. 
Yeah, we had some really good training, man. Really good training. And I still do a lot of acting work. And a lot of it's in my own projects. I've always believed in a big old stew of creativity. Like one thing informs the other. Because like now, because I edit, when I'm writing the script, I'm thinking about ways to write it that's going to help me out when I'm editing it. And doubly so for directing. I'm the one that's going to be going through whatever happens between action and cut. I feel that these disciplines begin to inform each other once you are doing a lot of them in tandem. I like that. I just need to show you the importance of knowing all aspects of your business, because me as a business owner, I'm not going to be left in the lurch where I'm going to, to be able to do everything that my company has to do. But that's the same thing, especially when you're producing content, because you can shoot, you can edit, act in it. And the nice thing is you become a little bit more empathetic to other people. So you know what actors need. As an actor, you know what the director needs, what editors need. I think it just makes that workflow so much easier when yep. you're open to learning all aspects of the business, if you will. Yep. And even if you don't think you're ever going to do it, even if you don't think you're ever going to be an editor, it still helps to learn how the basics of editing work because who's ever editing you um, will appreciate ways that you make their job easier and you'll get better shots out of it. No one's coming to save you guys. Figure it out yourself. And people say, I'm, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. You can't wait for your ship to come in. You got to swim out to it. Calv the cavalry isn't coming. You are the cavalry, which is when I tell myself uh, in moments where things aren't working. And I'm like, where the, where the fuck's the cavalry, man? <laughs> <laughs> They're not coming. Whenever I get down, I'm going to throw on the Paul Votto show and listen to myself pep me up. I'm like, this guy really, this guy knows what's going on. Besides actor, besides writer, besides comedian, I'm going to have to add motivational speaker. Hell yeah. List of young accomplishments. You're going to order my online course. Get your shit together. That includes me. Uh, by Ben Morrison. Will you include a package of butt wipes, please? Oh, hell yeah. I will. Oh, yeah. Anyone who wants to help me, join the team. Wonderful. As we're reaching the end here, how do you decide what your time is worth? Do you quote them a price or do you just go back and forth? I don't know if you want to reveal any of that kind of stuff. I know that it's always what's in your budget. And then they're like, send us a quote. How do you decide? I think because I've done this enough at this point, I do know how much time it's going to take, even for something that is seemingly simple. So I just throw out, this is what my costs will be for all of the production. And because I have a production company that includes location rental, equipment rental, hiring crew, I am set up to actually produce uh, now. Yeah, just throw out a number that says, because I'm writing all the creative, like I know how much time it's going to take to get the script in good shape. And do notes. And then where's the location? How many people am I going to need to hire on this? I know all the units of time that go into this, including how much time is it going to be when I'm cutting the thing? I can throw out a number that'll make me happy and make me enjoy the process. I'm guilty of this on my own and I'm trying to be better about it. Doing creative work when you feel taken advantage of sucks. It's like the worst feeling when you're doing creative work for someone else and you feel like you're getting taken advantage of. And flip, doing creative work for someone else where you feel respected in terms of your own pay, it's like a great feeling. You're like, holy shit, I get to do this for a living. It's super important when you go into the bid to throw out something that'll make you feel proud of doing the job. If you get a number that you're like, fuck, that's nowhere near what I wanted, and you say yes, that attitude's going to pervade through the entire process, including probably making you resent the person that's hiring you in the first place. That's right. That's right. A lot of it also sometimes comes from us undervaluing our worth that we don't think that we're worth what we know we are. 
I think that's great advice. When you're on set and you're doing something for a hundred bucks, you're like, oh, come on. All right, well, let's get it over with. Let's just do it. When you're on set and you're getting paid what you should be getting paid, you're loving it because you get paid to wait a lot of times. Just around. We're getting paid to wait. The acting is the fun part. Yeah. Give it away. More great advice from Ben Morrison. <laughs> Again, my online course. Get your shit together. This includes me, Ben Morrison. I, I motivate you and myself. I love you. Definitely have a poop theme going through all of your. There's, there's, there's a little bit there. There's a little bit there. But I, I have Crohn's disease. I'm literally pulling money out of my ass. So take that life. <laughs> I have a joke in the show, and this is true. The moment I got diagnosed with Crohn's it was the moment I realized I was meant to be a comedian because I had an incurable poop disease, and my initials are BM. I was like, I get it. I get it. BM. Ben, thank you so much, man. As we're winding up, I know that you have a hard out coming up. So thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your knowledge, your comedy. Do you think that porn stars have a hard in? <laughs> for what? Yeah. Happens, we start <laughs> we got a hard in at two o'clock. I got a hard in at two. We need a hard in and out. By 205. Okay. Anyway, sorry to hijack you. Please continue. We're, we're partners. We're working on our new person show. Yes, and. Yes, and. That's it. Have you studied improv? Have you done anything in the improv world? Or is that just from acting? From growing up in theatrical training, improv was always a part of it. Was he in an improv troupe after college? Never followed it like via Groundlings or Second City because you have to decide either stand-up or improv. Like, those are separate lanes. and You really don't find any crossover in terms of people who do this. It's great to see, though, that you're well-versed in both. Normally, when I start out, I ask the question about your parents as far as their support, but I think I already know the answer to this because it sounds like you've been acting since you were six years old. So there must have obviously been some support from the family as far as getting you to auditions or getting you to projects. And I've oh, yeah. all been very supportive. Loved my family and they were very supportive of all the acting. They allowed me to do it to the degree that I was able to do it and train in that way. Let's just say they were not that excited when I told them after graduating from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts that I wasn't going to go be the king of Broadway. I was going to tell dick jokes in the village. <laughs> there was a long period of time where they got used to the idea of me being a comedian, especially because in the first five or six years, you just suck. Yeah. So it was one thing for me to say, I'm going to become a comedian. And then what they did come and see was like, just shitty. I've been doing comedy for three years. So it was a slow transition. They're happy now. They've been very supportive of the stand-up. It just took a long time for them to get used to the idea of me as a comic and not like a serious Broadway actor. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad that they've come around, if you will. Have you performed in Boston? Because I know, of course, Boston has this strong history of stand-up. Not a lot. Whenever I'm home for a vacation, I'll try to get a spot at the comedy studio or Nick's or whatever. So I've done shows in Boston. All of stand-up for me started in New York City. There was no point in time where I was getting you know, the club owners in Boston and running around. It almost would feel like a step back. Again, not to insult Boston, because I know that they have a strong <laughs> Community, but it, you're right. If you're conquering New York, why then or Boston? Do you feel like you need to be in one of the coasts to do well in stand-up, either New York or Los Angeles? Depends on what your definition of do well is. If you just want to actively be performing stand-up in a scene that you find a home in and you have no desire to escalate to, I want to be on TV, 
I just really love doing stand up, then stay where you are in your community, hone your craft with your friends and a place where you could accelerate to the largest platform in the world. Come to one of the coasts. It's really up to where your own level of desire is. It comes down to what will eat you up inside when you're old, knowing you never gave a shot to, right? Yep, that's right. Time is fleeting. Ben, do you have any final thoughts, anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Anything you'd like to promote? And then I can let you go so that you can continue on your day. And thank you for being here and spending oh, with us. My pleasure. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. If you're on TikTok, follow at Ben the Morrison. If you're on Instagram, follow at Ben the Morrison. I post generally a new comedy clip a day. So join the fun. If you live in LA, watch out for shows that I do in town and just keep the faith. We got more funny coming. ¿Quién es ese hombre holding up the bottle? Look a little closer, cigar in Moscato. An actor in improv, coming from Chicago. Alto, make way for Paul Vato.